it is a great joy for me and an honor to be opening God's Word with you, a church that in the last few years we have grown to love and appreciate. But before I start, uh, I want to clarify something. Some of you have been misled by Ray, and I want to make this clear. I'm not related to Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> now, please open your Bible. John, First uh, John chapter four, verse seven. And today we will see ch- verses four, I mean seven to eleven. While you open your Bible, you get there. I want to mention two things as a kind of intro to this message. I hope you read Levy's email this weekend. It was a beautiful email where he mentioned what kind of love we'll be reading here. It's not the kind of love that, how I feel, if I have a butterfly in my stomach. It's not the kind of love that we sing in Nakin Colson or Frank Sinatra or You Got Mail kind of movie. No, this is a different kind of love. This is a supernatural love. And also, I think John speaking here to a local congregation. He is speaking about this love to the church. We can have another sermon in the near future about how to love your neighbor. But the main point here, I think, is how we as a local congregation, as a, the body of Christ, we love one another. So let's read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. People love reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Even non-Christians enjoy quoting that chapter with good reasons. It is a beautiful description of love. He teaches us that love is patient, is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it is not resentful, it rejoices with the truth. Love never ends. Indeed, it's a beautiful description of love, but it doesn't tell us where we can find love or what is the source of love. So what happens if I'm not patient or kind? If I envy or if I'm arrogant or rude, how do I deal with that? I think this passage gives us the answer for that. As my friend John Morales put it, if 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what is love, 1 John 4 tells us not only that what love is, but also that we can become people of love and how we become people of love. In the first six verses in this chapter, John spoke to the church about the need to test the spirits. We need to discern error from truth. We need to know what is false teaching, 
how it looks like. And this is sometimes something necessary that we as a Christian community have to do. But that can be a risky task for us sometimes. Because in trying to discern error from truth, we can become arrogant, cold. We can try to discern truth from error in a harsh way. We can become like bulldogs of theology, angry, looking at people, just watching what they're saying and not allowing to what they're saying to speak to us. We can be full of knowledge, full of truth, but yet with a cold heart. So as a pastor, as a good pastor, John is teaching them about false teaching. He's teaching them how to be careful about what they hear. But also now he's pointing to them to the true way, the one who is truth and love. So he introduces this section in this verse 7 with beloved, reestablishing the warm and affectionate language that he used in the previous three chapters. He loves the people he's writing to. In fact, the word love appears here in the remaining of this chapter 27 times. There's more, there's more the word love is used in this book more than any other book in the Bible. In these verses here, there's a lot of love. So if you're taking note this morning, I only have one point, one main point. A God who is love will have children who love. A God who is love will have children who love. And what I, this is what I want to do with you this, with us this morning. I want to walk through, this path, through these verses. I want to see how they speak to us, what John was communicating to them, and what he is communicating to us through the Spirit. So I will make then some theological reflection about these verses, and then we will see as Christ's covenant how we can apply that to our lives. In verses 7 and 8, he urged them to love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and know God. Love belongs to God nature. Love is woven into what he is. It is part of what it means to be God. The fire gives heat, the eyes give cold, because that's their nature. But God gives love, because that's the essence of God. That, that is who God is in his nature. And those who are united to him, those who are connected to God, those who have been born of God, will love. A God who is love will have children who love. And that's the point that John is trying to communicate here. In the new birth, in that spiritual birth, in that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, we become people of love. In verse 8, he tells them that if you don't love, if you don't know, if you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love. In fact, late in this chapter, in verse 20, John says that a failure to love truly is an indication of an unregenerate heart because faith and love go together. John Calvin used to say, and I quote, if anyone separates faith from love, it is, a, 
if he were trying to take away heat from the sun. Faith and love go together. Here in some sense, I think John is speaking about love the way that James speaks about works. You have faith, our works will show that faith, will speak about that faith. If we have faith, we will love. If we are in him, if we are united to God, we will display him. We will display his holy and loving character. You see, the Bible never says that God is wrath. Because his wrath does not describe his essence. God's wrath is the right response of his holiness to sin and rebellion. But if you really want to know who God is, God in his nature is love. If you want to understand him, if you want to contemplate him, look at his love. God is love, and his love as his own nature is eternal. He doesn't need us to exercise his love. There's an eternal loving relationship within the Godhead. Sometimes people think, well, God loves us and he created us so that he will not be alone, so that he could express that love. No. God has always, from eternity past, has been loved and loved. Our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an eternal indwelling relationship of love in the Godhead. That's why in the Gospel of John, not the letter, in the Gospel, chapter 17, the Lord Jesus spoke and he prayed to the Father. He said, I ask that they will be one as we are one. And then he says to them, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Lord God is love in eternity. This, I think, should teach us to be humble. Sometimes we, we have that wrong understanding that, like, God needs us. No, he doesn't. He's perfect in himself. He's self-sufficient. God is God. But in our culture, it has been common and firm, and I quote, religion is that what we do when we are alone. And that speaks about the privatization of religion. Of uh, how we make our faith private. People enjoy to take, for example, those passages where Christ speaks about the heart and what we do when we are alone. Well, that's important. But sometimes we take those passage, passages and we reduce the scripture to the private. We reduce Christianity to the private. What we do when we are alone. So a philosopher said, Louis Bekenstein, he said, make sure that religion is a matter between you and God only. But this, as John is working through, uh, writing to us, is antithetical to the gospel. The very nature of Christianity is communal. The nature of the scripture is covenantal. It's a covenantal God writing to his covenant people. <coughs> it is written for the people of God and by the people of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that is why scripture teaches us and asks us, how will people know that we belong to Christ if we love one another? So the private should be consistent to the public and vice versa. The love that I confess to God during my devotional 
should be reflected in the way that I interact in my small group or the way that I treat others on Sunday meetings or should reflect the way I live in the rest of the week. So in, here in verse 7 and 8, John links God's love for us and our love for people. He said, if you love God, you will love one another. And he does that by concentrating, by focusing on God's nature as love and the new reality within us as being born of God. In fact, he repeats that point in verse 9 and 10. God is love. And then he said in verse 9 and 10 that God has revealed that love by sending the Son, His Son, His only Son. The NIV says the, only, the one and only Son. So John speaks of the purpose of that manifestation. The coming of the Son is connected to the purpose of that coming. In verse 9 we read, so that we might live through him. Verse 10, to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation here means that the son came to receive the punishment of our sins and thus he to be removed the wrath of God from us. Their, their incarnation, their cross, is God's greater manifestation of love. It's an unilateral action of God to satisfy his own holiness, his own wrath. Theologians will speak about the person of Christ and the work of Christ sometimes in an unhelpful manner, especially in the last 200 years in a post-enlightenment era. We like to talk about he, the work is here, and the person is here. No, we will not understand the work unless we understand the person. We will not understand what he was doing if we don't understand who he is. He is God in the flesh. In other words, and this is how I, I would like to put it, God in the cross, in Christ Jesus, God gave himself to himself to save us from himself. And I will repeat that. God in, in Christ Jesus, God gave himself to himself to save us from himself. The one who died for our sin was God in the flesh. And he received the wrath of the Father. And he saved us from that wrath. Because he loved us. So love takes the initiative. And love pays the price. And that's what we see in the cross. Love taking the initiative and love paying the price. Who will forgive us? But only that one who we have sinned against. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So it's God himself saving us from his own wrath. Those here using the language of love. Speaking about Christ who is the son. The word, the logos. I like to, to put it this way. In the gospel, chapter 1, John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
Then in, in that chapter, in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I, I like to say, using this language of love, And love became flesh. And love walked among us. He who is love from eternity past, he who is love by nature, made us love by participation. It's like adoption. The son who is the son by nature made us son and daughters by adoption. So here, by love coming, taking on flesh and human form, as Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, verse 7, he says, And he who was in the form of God took the form of man, doulos, of slave, of servant. So he who was love in eternity took the form of flesh to make us loving. So how does that happen? If we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. It is not our ability to love that causes the new birth. Rather, our ability to love flows from our regeneration in Christ. He loved us when we were unlovable and unloving. And by loving us, he made us loving. And this reminds us of the main point. A God who is love will have children who love. Brothers and sisters, the sad reality is that many times we fail to show that love. Sometimes we struggle with that. I was listening two weeks ago, a pastor uh, in Chicago, and he was sharing something that happened in, in a local church in Chicago. And he was saying that he was speaking about a, there was a family uh, a couple, they had a teenager's daughter. I think she was 15. Uh, the daughter was not Christian. Uh, that couple were a member of a church. The daughter got pregnant. So you can imagine what they go- were going through. They were just devastated. They were weeping. They were just, I mean, it was tough for them. Uh, I, I don't know all the details, who they were talking to, but I was told that their parents, that couple, took the daughter to the abortion clinic. Uh, And I was told that they decided to do that because they could not face their congregation. So they preferred to participate in an abortion, in the killing of a baby, just because they were unable to handle how that congregation, which they belonged to, will treat them. That is so sad. Definitely, that couple did not see that congregation as loving. You know, I think the local church, we as a body, we should be a a refuge for those who need help. I'm talking here about the members of the church, those who are hurting. We want, I think we should seek to be a place where those who are vulnerable will will feel free and secure to to be among us. We want to be comfortable being fragile. We want that young man who is struggling with pornography 
to be comfortable to come to another man and say, I need help. Because he or she will understand that even the church discipline, the purpose of church discipline is not destruction, but restoration. And we see that in Christ. We see that in God, how he has manifested that love to us. You, you know, sometimes we are very different from the picture that we read in Matthew. When Peter came, was in, in, in the boat, and he walked out of the boat, and he was walking, and the, tech, the Bible says he saw the wind, and he got afraid, and he was sinking. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord took him and pulled him up. Sometimes we don't have that. Sometimes someone says, help me. We say, I told you. But this is not the picture that we see here. It's a picture of compassion and love. And it's a picture of love that also addresses justice and holiness. And that is the word propitiation here. He manifested his love in dying in our place. So we should try, we should seek to be a place of love. That if I have, have an issue, I will feel comfortable to come to another. Please help me. Help me walk with me through this, with a scripture in the power of the Spirit. We, brothers and sisters, love others because you can. Actually, in the way that John presents love here, he used love to distinguish true Christianity from false Christianity. And that was the issue with the false teachers, the Gnostic that were coming to the church. They were unloving. So they had the false teaching or this crazy idea about God. But that crazy idea about God, that unregenerate heart that they had, was reflected in the way they treated others. They were unkind and unloving. They were proud and arrogant. So, brothers and sisters, love because we can. Because God has loved us. And by loving us, he made us participation, part of that nature that is loving. We were, we were created to love. But we have turned that love from God. And we have made ourselves the object of love. Well, that is not love. That is idolatry. Remember what we see here in the text. It's not that we have love to love others so that God will love us. No, it is that because we have been loved by God, we will love others. Uh, when I was 15, uh, I remember I used to play baseball. Uh, and I was running. I, I grew up in a small town in the coast in the Dominican Republic, so I grew up in front of the beach. So I would run every day in the beach, exercise because I, was, I wanted to be a baseball player. That was my goal, to, be, to go make it to the major league. And it, it, was, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but, so when I was 15, uh, I was allowed to go to the gym to lift weight. Uh, but, I, I, but I was weak. Uh, I remember going to the gym. Uh, you know, you have those discs, you put one here, 20, one 20 here. I was struggling with that. But there was a guy, Ludo, L-U-D-O, Ludo, who would come, he was like 6'3", and he would take like those 45 pounds disc, one, two, three, four, one side, one, two, three, four, four, nothing, like one more, nothing. It was amazing. I saw that guy, his 
arms were like my legs. <laughs> and it was amazing. I said, well, that guy, he must be a vigilante or something. He must be a police officer. I mean, with all the strength, and he would go take a, a, like a green juice and then put a powder there and then drink that. It was, it was strange. And he would look at, at, the, at the mirror, see all that muscle. Well, that guy must be, must be helping people or something. But no, then I found out he was a paralegal. <laughs> so he was helping with deposition, writing research, filing papers in the court, all those kind of things, typing on the computer. I said, well, what is that all that strength being used? So we can be like that. We can have this amazing love from God and don't exercise it. We can be united to this loving God and then do not love him, be not loving. So I think we are like that sometimes. Sometimes we can have the love of God, being participating in that love with God, but yet not loving others. So let's not be like Ludo and love others. He didn't exercise his strength. Everything was about himself. And I think if we understand the nature of this love and the nature of the love who has redeemed us, we will be loving. It is difficult to be connected to the fountain of love and not being loving. It's like walking to the ocean without getting wet. It's impossible. So let us love one another. Perhaps you will say, but there are some people who are difficult to love. <laughs> That's true. For a moment, think of the person who you struggle to love. Think of that person who you struggle to love. That person that you find impossible to love. And as you think about that person, think of the cross. That person, perhaps the best analogy that you have in your own life about God's love for you. It was difficult for him. He gave up his one and only eternal son to die for us. Sure, there are people that are difficult to love, but surely we were difficult to love as well. In their book, The Compelling Community, Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop put it this way, our love, and I read, our love is propor proportional to under our understanding of forgiveness. And because our forgiveness is supernatural, we have a, the ability as Christians to love supernaturally. And when we love God, we love others. You see, this love is empowered not by the lovability of others or our own goodness, but by the supernatural forgiveness in Christ at the cross. Love between believers is not a sign of maturity. It is a sign of saving faith. We are called to cultivate this love. How do we do it? We meditate on the cross. Again, for sure there are people that are difficult to love. And for sure we have been that for God. And this also should teach us how we deal with offenses. Some of you have or will be offended by other members of the congregation. When that happens, remember your offenses against God. 
and remember his kind response to you. May God help us to be slow to take offense and quick to love. God has been patient with us. He has been patient with you. He has endured your doubts, your sins, even though when he has proven to you to be truthful and faithful. You know, love is not spontaneous, and we see that here too. It's not easy. The younger we are, the more we tend to think on those terms. Love just happened. Just the titanic kind of love. No. How we, we have to be intentional about, about love. And we see that in the cross. It was planned. Don't think the spirit will just speak to you and say, love this person. Or will just move you with like a wind to move. No. He's working through you as you are intentional to love others. Look at the cross. How intentional it was. In fact, in the next four weeks, when we go back to Matthew, in the last eight chapters of the book of Matthew, we will see that, how everything was pointing to the cross. And we see the intentionality of Christ as walking through the cross. In fact, the cross shadows the whole Gospels. Everything is pointing to the cross. We read in, in Matthew 16, when Peter tried to separate him from the cross, he called him Satan. Because he came to die for us. For eternity, he chose us. He planned the church. He died for us. As we read in Acts 20, he shed his own blood for us. It was not an accident. It was, was, it was planned and deliberate. So that teaches us that we have to work on loving others. It, just not, it doesn't just happen like that. We have to be intentional. We have to think about how do I love others who need help. I, I don't want to give you like a list of things how you can love others. I would rather you to think by yourself, how can I love this person? How can I show love for this person? That might be a great topic to discuss in your small group. If you are married with your spouse. How can I show love to that couple? How can I show love to that person who just lost a job? Or how can I just rejoice with that one who just had a baby? To conclude, I want to share two practical recommendations of how we can express our love for one another as Christ's covenant church. And the first one is be present. Be present. Please avoid missing Sunday's morning. I think... It's unloving, I repeat that, I think it's unloving to miss two or three Sundays because I was just tired, I want to go to the beach. It is difficult to love a person who I don't know. It is difficult to love a person I don't spend time with. I think if we read, well, we can read Hebrews 10, and Hebrews 10 speak about that, but not only Hebrews 10, the whole scriptures speak about that. When we read the Old Testament, we see the life of, of the covenant community was just, everything was around the word of God, around the temple. I think as Christian, 
Our lives should be around the local community. It's not something that just show up on Sunday. I go for the singing hymns, I arrive, Tom preached the sermon, and I, le- I left. No. Be intentional about spending time with other members, getting to know them. You will not love those who you don't spend time with. So be present. <coughs> Second, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Pray with intentionality for the members of the church. And I want to share this testimony. You are a loving congregation. I remember last month uh, walking to the hospital with Sarah when we had our, our youngest child. Uh, it was July 15. You know, when you're walking through a C-section, a, that's a major surgery. And all thought crossed your mind. All concerns will come to you. But you know, that morning, I was just calm, quiet, with an amazing peace. Because I knew that many of you were praying for us. In fact, some of you emailed us and said, we are praying for you. And I felt, in a very strange way, that I was being lifted up, Sarah and I, before God, by your prayers. It was amazing, the peace that I had in my heart and that she had just because we knew that God was answering your prayers. And that was beautiful. It was sweet for us. And so I felt loved by you, the way you pray for us. So I try to pray regularly through the directory. So I have that. If you don't have one, Lauren can help you with one. So when I read my Bible in the morning, I try to pray for one or two families from the church. Sometimes we'll email them, sometimes not. So, but this is what God has been using this in my own heart. You know, the, it's difficult to pray for a person and then not love that person. It's very difficult. So God has not only helped me love others, but he has been helping me to grow in, in love for him. And, you know, I don't mention names normally from the pulpit except Ray. But I will make an exception today. <laughs> I, in the last few months, I have been praying for Mr. and Mrs. Perry. And the way that I have, that I have noticed in my own heart how I have my love for them has grown is amazing just by praying for them. It is sweet. So pray for one another. Be intentional. And God will use that to help us to grow in him and to love in, for one another. Again, it is difficult not to love someone who you pray for. So now what I want to do is take a time of silence, meditate on this, how we can show our God's love for others, and then an elder will come and close in prayers.